Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's Friday the 24th of February. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be listening from a couple of Irish politicians that have said some wise words, wise in my opinion. Also, listening to Dr John Campbell talking about the UK's vaccine mm, undoing of the rollout. We're going to be also listening to here in the UK. Lawrence Fox gave a speech at the protest in Oxford at 15 minute cities and other government ways of getting involved in your movement as well. We're going to be looking at ULIS, Five Councils Launch Legal Challenge, that and much much more coming up on today's show. So let's start with the videos that I'm getting off of Facebook shall we because they're the ones that (laughs) use the most memory up on the computer. Stop it making that whirling noise. So this is Lawrence Fox of the Reclaim Party. And again, just because I show a clip of uh, him, I happen to think that uh, he said it makes a lot of sense in this video, but it doesn't mean I agree with everything he said. The BBC... Oh, I do apologise. I'm not certain who he's being interviewed by. I almost said BBC, and it would have been wrong of me to say that because... I have no idea where he's from and I don't perhaps people who watch television would be able to know where he's from but he seems very much to be a mainstream media figure from the questions he asks and the the way he sort of asks them but that's just purely my opinion uh, it could be some bloke in the street for all I know I wasn't there being the one filming it but I think he makes some very good points and the interviewer keeps trying to well keeps trying I think a couple of occasions he keeps trying to draw Lawrence into is this part of a bigger agenda which is an interesting question to ask if they're mainstream media because I think the goal would be ah there's Lawrence Fox yes he said some very sensible things about keeping people's movement there but um, he's said it's part of a bigger agenda which means he's now a conspiracy theorist which means we can now discredit everything he says and ignore everything he says anytime anyone ever says anything oh that was the conspiracy theorist that said that wave that magic wand so Lawrence Fox I think if you look at some of his interviews his and he gives answers here that would imply it's part of a bigger agenda but he doesn't fall into that uh, I'm going to give you an easy um, punch in the gut uh, conspiracy theorist uh, label gift so let's go and that's enough of my preamble Let's listen to it for ourselves now. So this was in Oxford, protest against the 15-minute cities, and it was uploaded about five days ago. So I didn't film it. I didn't know it. As far as I know, it's from Oxford. Uh, I have been to Oxford. I don't know it that well. Um, So let's just play the video. No, we won't be playing the video. Well, we will be playing the video, but Facebook always has the volume down, which is probably quite a good thing, isn't it, as you scroll through, otherwise you have all these voices shouting at your head. I come here because I object to being told where I can and can't move in society. I think it's really unhealthy. I think that what's happened is, post-pandemic, the powers that be in the government have got this desire to control our movement, our speech, everything, and I think it's really dangerous that people, there's a grandmother who's picked her kid up from school, and she can't, and it's, she's got to go 12 miles around the ring road to pick up a grandchild. It's, you know, it's more pollution, it's not less. What the county council would say is this is a traffic calming measure. 
Yeah. That's all they're interested in, is trying to reduce congestion in the centre of this medieval city. But why would a council get to tell a person, A, this is, city is mostly uh, ridden by bicyclists, I spent 10 years working here, and B, why does a council have a right to tell someone where they can and can't travel? They sh shouldn't work that way. We should be making a freer world for everybody, every single day, where you're freer to move, you're freer to speak, and you're freer to, you're freer to choose what you do with your life. Isn't, I mean, isn't the way government works that you elect representatives and they make decisions about this the is rules? Popular. This the is not a popular... Look at that. Does that look like the, the council of the government? 90%... It's a huge protest. They oppose this in the same way as they oppose Sadiq Khan's ULA scheme in London. They oppose this stuff. But it's put through anyway by Panjangans and commissars who think that they're doing the best for the people. They're acting in your best interest. It's not, that's not how it should work. The people should be in charge of what they do. And we should not be restricting our movement. We've had three years of the most catastrophic government policies, which has destroyed the economy, created an inflation that we cannot control. And we are now reaping the benefits of this, and people are fed up. Do you get ready to walk around our 15 minutes? Hold on, hold on. Do you do you think there's a bigger agenda here than just restricting tra traffic in Oxford? I think that there are two types of people in life. There are people that want to be left alone to get on with their business, transact, love, travel, and be with those that they love. And I think there are people in this world that want to control other people. And I think the people that want to control other people, through measures like lockdowns, like 15-minute cities, like ridiculous net zero ideas, that's about control and guilt. And human nature is not conducive to the human nature. Human nature is born to be free and bold. Well, there are different ideas of freedom, aren't there? You're saying you want the freedom to go where you want in your country. And the other side would say, well, we want the freedom from the pollution and the congestion that unrestricted car use brings. Yeah. So they're two competing ideas of freedom, and they both have... Except one of those sides of the argument is going, you do what you want, mate. Just go, as long as it doesn't harm me, do what you want. But you've seen what Sadiq Khan has done in London with LTNs. Essentially what you've got is just one giant traffic jam spewing out horrible fumes to, uh, on the poorest in society while all of the rich people can sit there going, I've done so well for my environment. These policies are ridiculous and ideological. And if we work on ideological policies, we lead to the poorer and the detriment of mankind. That's what I think. One last question. Do you, do you believe that this is part of a wider agenda for 15-minute cities, not just in the UK but around the world? Well, what do you think that's all about? They've said it's part of a wider agenda for 15-minute cities around the world. It's not what I believe or not. It's, you know, the desire to control people and lock them down and stop them moving and being free is definitely part of what the future is desired by councillors and by governments, you know. Some people would say, look, this is about six traffic cameras in a, a relatively small UK city. All these people have come out in protest. I mean, what, isn't it a bit disproportionate what's happening here? Well, no, not if you're only allowed to travel 100 times a year and you've got to do a school run and you've got a life to lead. That's that's power and control. That's the, what, who but you come up, you come up from London. Who chooses? To, yeah, I'm free to come up from London. No, of course. Yeah. Who chooses a hundred times a year? Who well, does that? Who gets to choose it? You get two hundred times a year. How we do not live in a world we should be seeking more freedom, not less. I don't want to be restricted by politicians and stuff like that. You should be able to go wherever the hell you want. I um I like the the reporters. Um, you know. You've come up all the way from London to 
be with these people it, almost as if you know why do you care about other people you know why don't if it was happening in london do they why would you care about the people in oxford why would you care about fellow human beings why would you care about the freedom of other people you know uh, <laughs> i love the way the reporter asked that sort of question <laughs> and uh, i love the re answers that uh, lawrence fox gave there again that doesn't mean i agree with him on everything um and now here's a irish senator sharon kirgan actually no i'm going to play that clip in a minute i'm going to read this article first Roald Dahl's original works to be kept in print without changes in classic collection by Tom Sanders. This is today, Friday the 24th of February, and it's for the Metro. Puffin UK has announced the release of Roald Dahl Classic Collection, which aims to keep the author's classic texts in print following criticism of recent editing of his work to remove potentially offensive language. The 17 titles will be available later this year and will include archive material relevant to each of the stories by the much-loved but controversial children's author. The classic collection will sit alongside the newly released Roald Dahl books for young readers, which have been rewritten to cater for the sensitivities of modern audiences. The Roald Dahl Story Company and Puffin Books carried out a review of Dahl's classics which led to the removal of rewriting of content deemed offensive, including references to weight, mental health, violence, gender and race. But critics, including acclaimed author Sir Salman Rushdie and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, later condemned the changes. Um, do I find myself on the same side as Rishi Sunak on this one? Wow. <laughs> On Friday, Francesca Dow, Managing Director of Penguin Random House Children, said, At Puffin we have proudly published Roald Dahl stories for more than 40 years in partnership with the Roald Dahl Story Company. Their mischievous spirit and is unique. Anyway, to cut a long story short, um, there was uproar because, th this is my take on it, cutting it short, the woke uh, crowd wanted to change it out, you know, to quote the other, you know, to take include take into account people's sensitivities and there was a big public backlash and now they're not going to do it or we're going to release them in their original format at least so um the cynics among you could say this was a brilliant publicity stunt to get people to buy more roll dull books when the originals released could well be it could be a pr marketing genius or it could be that a very small minority of easily offended people made their move the publishers got it because let's face it no one's going to write emails to say i really love your publishing i really love your book people happy people don't do that happy people are busy being happy it's usually people that are offended which would i don't think people that are offended are usually happy because being having that feeling of offense doesn't lead to joy does it so uh, I'm, I'm not taking a pop at them i'm just saying the basic mechanics of emotion if you're happy you're happy if you're sad you're sad and if you're offended you tended to not be happy um, and if you're not happy you don't tend to be happy so uh, I wasn't taking a knock I was just putting it in it basics and uh, it's one could have the thought process again it could be a PR genius stroke but um, one could have the process that a very small minority of very easily offended people got into the publishers, got this, got that, got that done because they're organised. Um, you know, anger can be very organised. And then it got out into the wider public, the people who don't send the emails, who 
don't petition this, who don't comment on social media, who don't kick up a fuss and all that kind of stuff. And the wider public is the mainstream where the money is. And the mainstream went, we don't want that at all. And the publisher suddenly went, oh, the people that were very angry and easily offended and very sensitive, they don't represent the general public. We thought by the fact that they were so vocal that they did. We now see that we were wrong and there's more money to be made in its original format and because of the public outcry and we can see how many people um, you know once it hits the mainstream were for the side of the original works we, we, we've we now become better educated that the small vocal minority is indeed the minority not the majority and we're going to go where the money goes which seems to be replaying itself over a variety of businesses and some change their path some don't again that's my speculative opinion on the two different scenarios there one big pr stunt two the publishers went oh no blimey all the the woke crowd are offended oh we better pander to them oh we've upset even more people oh that actually well, we were surprised at how small that woke crowd was, actually, considering how vocal they are and how many emails they send and how organised they can be and their social media campaigns. But wow, they don't actually spend that much money because there's not many of them. Right, back to the original works it is then. So, there's... A, again, I'm all for uh, equality. I'm just one of those people that believes in differences as well. I, I think everyone should be equal. I don't want everyone to be the same. Um, I want to, when I go to a different culture, I want to experience that culture. Um, when people from other cultures come into this country, it would be nice if they brought their culture with them so we could have a, you know, little bit of these cultures without having to get on a plane ride, you know, and see what it's all about and mix of ideas. And If you want to truly be progressive, and that's what these people often refer to themselves as, progressive, in order to progress, one must move on from what is current. So if you want to progress, you must do things differently than what is being done. Otherwise, it's not progression. It's more of the same. And in order to do things differently, one must challenge the norm. In order to challenge the norm, one must disagree with the norm or have alternative views to the norm and say, look, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but there is another side to this coin. There is another side to this argument. You're right, but this point is also valid too. So you need to go down that face. But either way, you need to disagree. Now then, in order to disagree, you have to have free speech. And the people who call themselves the most progressive are the ones who want to ban speech. It's not progressive, it's regressive, in my opinion. So by the very nature, if one is progressive, one must be for free speech. For if one is to progress, one must speak freely to challenge the norm, to find a different way of doing the norm, to implement doing that different way of doing the norm. And there you have your difference, your now. The difference may be a step 
forward, a step backwards, but it's still progressing away from the norm. It may be progressing to the left, it may be progressing to the right, but it is progressing away from the norm for it has challenged it. In order for this to be the most successful process that you can be, people need to feel the safest and freest challenging it, which is maximum free speech, minimum censorship. So someone should explain that concept to anyone that is both claiming to be progressive and think censorship is a good idea. The one little uh, thing I do agree with censorship is watersheds. Uh, I think children should be kept away from adult themes. So I'm all for censoring content that children can see. I'm not for censorship of what adults can see. It's also a bit sort of um, insult to say, oh, you want to hear that point of view? We don't trust your brain to come to the same conclusion on that point of view that we did and our point of view is clearly correct and yours isn't um that's what being progressive is for me me and right you wrong and you we're not going to give you a plat we want you deplatformed and censored so you can't argue with me because i am so progressive so um that's the problem with the pro-censorship movement and it was good to see this effort if that's what it was and it wasn't a big PR stunt I don't know I have no insider knowledge it's good to see that that uh, comes through that said it's always good for people to be equal show respect show equality show um, consideration for other people's cultures beliefs religions all that kind of stuff I'm a live and let live kind of guy um, I'm a you have your point of view I'll have my point of view kind of guy but where your point of view says my point of view should be censored, I'm not really going down that road. You can come and debate me on the pros and cons of it. Let's put it all public. And, um, you know, and a debate should always be two ways. I'm there to listen in a debate. Maybe I, there's things that I don't know. They, should, they present points of view that would challenge my own and get me to change my point of view. Frank Zappa said, minds are like parachutes, they work best when they're open. So for me, that's what a debate is. And I think we really need for everyone, especially on social media, to really be respect, be more respectful, be kinder, be treat it as if you're talking to Mike Tyson rather than typing in a keyboard to someone faceless whoever they are you know that I think that's a good trick we could all learn would I say this to Mike Tyson's face if it was just me and him in a room with no cameras um, and no witnesses would the words leaving my mouth be the same as those I'm typing on the keyboard for me that's a good rule of thumb works for me um, but we're all human sometimes. Um, someone, you know, you, you fire things away and, you, oh, yeah, perhaps, you know, your adrenaline gets the better of you. But generally, the Mike Tyson rule, I call it, that's what I try and go by. And um, if we can all, in this time of great change, listen to others' points of views and not censor, then... I think we could make real progress.
not the progress that certain types say is progress, but the progress that we all feel as a human being in our soul. And this is now um, encapsulated in a speech from, I do believe it is an Irish senator. And uh, it says, Senator Sharon Keoghan, who I was not familiar with, so it is in this is the first and only work I have shown of her. So it is entirely possible that someone could show me a video and go, This is uh, the woman on your show saying other stuff, and I could completely disagree with it, but it doesn't matter because I don't get involved in personality politics. You know, I have no idols, I have issues. So if a politician says, I mean, I find myself agreeing with Rishi Sunak on the last one. I, I can't remember when I did that, but it doesn't matter because I deal with issues, not icons or idols. And I think that's the best way because left or right, it's two things in a massive universe of options and possibilities. You might find someone has left ideals 90% of the time, but 10% of their ideals is on the right. I'm on neither. If if politics was a plane ride, I'm not sitting on the left wing. No, I'm not sitting on the right wing. I am in the middle trying to figure out where the plane is going, who it's being piloted by, and who is paying the pilot's wages. The wings, to me are what keep us afloat and keep us going, but they're nothing without the driver, pilot. So, I did a little bit of research, and by that I do mean literally little. I will tell you what I did. I shoved her name into Google, and the photo that come up looked like the woman on the video. So I'm assuming this is a video of her. I told you, armchair researcher. If you're expecting um, journalists that went there, called for comment, all that kind of stuff. Man, you've got the wrong podcast. Anyway, let's listen to Sharon Keoghan. I remember a time, a brief time, around eight years ago, where Western society's attitude towards labels were that they were not for people and that the fullness of human expression and complexity could not be placed into neat boxes and that swathes of people could not be tarred with the same brush. That lasted up until 2016, when the one-two punch of Brexit and the election of Donald Trump upset the ruling progressive elite to such an extent that they changed tactics. The message of individual empowerment and self-determination had yielded dissatisfying results. People were deciding to think the wrong thoughts. And so the powers that be arranged for a return to cultural tribalism. No longer would there be individuals varied and unique there would only be the labels placed upon them based on what they supported or choose not to support unquestioningly and unreservedly. Someone who had concerns about Black Lives Matter, easy. They're just a racist. Someone who questions an, about control, uncontrolled migration, xenophobe. Someone who thought that life in the womb is vulnerable and worthy of protection. Obviously, they just hate women. And 2016 gave us the worn to death catch-all phrase for when you knew you didn't like something and had to slap a label on it to deplatform and discredit, cancel and silence. Far right. Wanting houses for your own citizen. Far right. 
wanting Irish girls and women to feel safe and have their identity as women protected and respected far right. Asking for robust mental health assessments by professionals prior to subjecting children to irreversible medical intervention, far right. Wanting to protect communities from crime, far right. Supporting women in politics, not just those with the right ideas, far right. Not supporting gender quotas and believing that the right woman or man should get the job based on merit, far right. Opposing the commodification, buying or selling of children via contract, far right. Allowing each man and woman to have their own national and religious identity and to be proud of it, far right. It's a cheap trick, it's political and intellectual laziness and it's a crying shame that this low level of discourse has infiltrated Irish political politics through social media. But at the end of the day, when you're sitting on the far left and you're zero perspective, everything looks far right. Yes, now um, that isn't to say that there uh, isn't some genuine far right people that have some rather despicable ideas. But when you label everyone that disagrees with your far left view as far right, um, it will come back and haunt you but it's going to take time because a lot of people... I've used the analogy before of the nutter at the party where uh, you're sitting in the living room. If you're a regular listener, you can probably skip a minute of me going on about this story again. You're sitting in the living room and there's a nutter there. It's just everyone feels uncomfortable. Um, nothing good is going to be from around this person. All right? And... None of you are clinical psychiatrists. None of you are trained mental health professionals. But you can tell this person's a nutter. Just as you don't have to be a five-star Michelin chef to know that you've burnt your dinner. There's a nutter in the living room. Let's move to the kitchen. So, you moved... What happens is, over the course of it, all your normal people who just don't want conflict and just want to have a good time and don't want to get bogged down with the nutter, they just kind of move to the kitchen and ignore it. But the nutter, they they don't like peace and quiet. You know, the, the nutter, the nutter's goal is not to clear out that living room. The nutter is to be a nutter for as many people as possible. All right, they're not quiet. They're very loud. And they want to interfere in your evening. All right, they're not prepared to sit in the corner and keep to themselves like you are. Just have quiet conversations with a couple of people here and there. No. So, what happens? And you, you can have a go and look at this the next time you see a nutter at the party. What happens when everyone leaves the living room and goes into the kitchen? The nutter does not think, oh, I've got the living room to myself now. The nutter will go into the kitchen. It cannot leave people alone. Doesn't get the message that everyone's left them and doesn't want to be around them. Can't get their head around that. Why doesn't everyone agree with me? You know, why isn't everyone listening to what I'm saying? Why does everyone not want to be around me? They don't ask these questions. Because they're a nutter. And... So they go into the kitchen. Sooner or later, someone in the kitchen tells him to just leave. Or or, or smacks him. Or something along those lines. It 
people once they've gone to the kitchen it's like you know I've left the nutter alone I didn't say or do anything but they're continuing to bother me I'm not going to let this person ruin my entire night they've ruined 20 minutes of it that's why I've moved to the kitchen enough is enough and um, you'll find that's what happens the nutter suddenly gets a dose of reality and um, again I'm not uh, looking to make fun or say anything bad about people with mental health issues I'm just describing what I've seen several times Um, but when nice people have had enough of someone that's really bothering them and uh, it takes a time so from the last few years you've seen the silent majority just going to the kitchen as more of more of this gets cancelled more of this you can't say more of this you can't do anything like that blah 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 and um, they always put in the um, the minority groups uh, you know, you, we're doing this for the minority group. Whenever I speak to the minority group, they like, don't represent us. These people are nutters. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I've never, you know, I've, all all the people I've known that are always most pro censorship, <laughs> they're always uh, straight, middle class, white. <laughs> you know, there's no minority groups there. The minority groups are sitting with the rest of the people in the kitchen, going, "Yeah, no, they don't speak for us." <laughs> You know, Um, once obviously equality is met, you can't have bigotry. But once you've got non-bigotry equality, that whole censorship thing for the sake of censoring, that's where, you know, most people jump off. And um, I think that that's what the whole Roald Dahl thing is and the whole council culture thing is. And um, what that Irish MP was, or senator, I should say, was uh, trying to say that most people that I speak to of all cultures, religions, races, whatever's every the sexual orientations, genders, whatever, most people are just kind of like, yeah, if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. And it's a system that works. Um, and then you get people that just want to come in and cause you grief. And most of the cool people are just, oh, let's just leave. And then it comes to the point where the problem follows them. And it's like, right, that's it. I'm making my stand now. And I think that that's what we're going to see over the course of the next decade with people standing up to cancel culture. But of course, cancel culture will have a great deal of corporate money behind it why would you not want to wipe out your non-corporate competitors you know um if you are the only show in town then they're watching your show so big corporations would want to have as fewer competitors as possible and if they all stick up this code of conduct what you can and cannot say then you can then go well you broke the rules you're out of it all these network deals syndications all that kind of stuff but you then see people just leaving in droves and but of course there will be plenty of people that love it and there's a huge market for some of this woke stuff i mean you know i've referred to them as a a minority group the woke people but they're very vocal very well organized um, and there are 
quite a few people that do believe this stuff. There are a lot of people that live in the, would be happy to sit in the living room with the nutter and going, you've got a point there. But the point I'm making is there's way more of those that have moved to the kitchen. So let's now move on to the independent. Um, man dies after being attacked by aggressive chicken. Uh, it's not an April Fool's. It's Thursday the 16th of February. When Jasper Krause was coming in and out of consciousness, he said the word rooster. So an Irish man who had a heart condition died after being mauled by an aggressive Brahma chicken living on his property. Jasper Krause of Kileorinaria was attacked by the chicken on 28th of April last year, reported the Irish examiner, citing a recent request. His tenant, Corey O'Keefe, said he heard Krause screaming during the attack and saw blood spurting from his leg as well as a large wound on his calf. Mr O'Keefe said he called emergency services, tended to Krause's wound on his leg and talked him through CPR for 25 minutes before the ambulance arrived. Mr O'Keefe said when Krause was coming in and out of consciousness, he said the word rooster. Authorities said the man was found lying on the kitchen floor in a pool of blood and a wound on the back of one of his legs. Garda Eon Brown of the Clonark neighbourhood told the inquest that he was called out to the scene of the sudden death where he met paramedics. He was informed by them that they carried out CPR but without success. Brahma is an American breed of chicken. Dr Ramadan Shatwan told the inquest that while the deceased's face was covered in dry blood there were no cuts to his face and his cause of death was due to lethal cardiac arrhythmia. So um, there's an odd story for you that I just thought I'd throw in. Uh, obviously that's a tragedy for the man and his family and all that kind of stuff but I don't think I'll be laughing at the Monty Python scene with the uh, with the rabbit in Monty Python the Holy Grail ever again um, yeah poor man and his family what a weird story there so um, yeah it looks like the chicken set off his uh, arrhythmia but yeah so the headline main let's have a look at that headline Man dies after being attacked by aggressive chicken. Well, that is actually accurate, isn't he? He was attacked, then he had a heart attack, and then died from it. So the chicken didn't kill him, but it, it was the catalyst. But anyway, I just thought, there's a story I've never, ever seen before. So I'll read that out in the podcast. Again, uh, making no light of the situation whatsoever. That's a human being that's lost their life, and they have a family. So moving on to the next one. Yulee's Five Councils Launch Legal Challenge. This is from the BBC on the 16th of February. Five councils are taking legal action to challenge the planned expansion of London's ultra-low emission zone. Bexley, Bromley, Harrow, Hillingdon and Surrey councils are seeking a judicial review to scrutinise the legality of how the decision was made. The plan, set to come into effect in August, will see all London boroughs become part of the Yulee's area. Neither City Hall nor Transport for London has been served with a judicial review claim, a spokesperson said. A spokesperson for the Mayor of London added, We will be defending any challenge to this vital scheme. scheme. <laughs> the Mayor urges the councils involved to abandon this costly and unnecessary legal challenge and instead focus on the health of those that they represent. Currently, drivers of the most polluting cars have to pay £12.50 a day if they cross the boundary, which is within Capital's north and south circular orbital roads. The expansion of the zone 
would cover the whole of London. From the beginning, Mayor Sadiq Khan's plans have been met with opposition. A public consultation found 80% of people in the affected areas were opposed to the expansion of the zone. Since the consultation concluded in November, Conservatives in London have alleged City Hall officials tried to manipulate the process. Since then, some Labour councils and MPs have voiced their concerns about the implementation of the wider Ulys area. The expansion will see the zone border areas of Surrey, Kent, Buckinghamshire, Essex and Hertfordshire. These councils have said previously that they will be blocking any Ulys signage on their land. Surrey County Council, which has joined the four London councils in the Judicial Reveal Coalition, said it wanted concessions such as exemptions for taxi drivers and key workers and corridors to NHS facilities near the border. The Judicial Review will scrutinise inadequate consultation. So anyway, you've got... What I take from that is you've got people in who are answerable to their voters going, oh... I don't think that's good for the will of the people coming from the top. So it's all starting to to come to a head now, isn't it, in this country? I just wanted to say earlier on the whole uh, woke thing as well, is that they wouldn't get as far as they got if they didn't have a few good points. So um, while I'm against their pro-censorship ideas, um, some of their ideas um, are pro-equality, pro Pro promoting of cultural diversity and all that kind of stuff. I'm all for that kind of stuff, and that's how you can get a lot of people in because they've got a lot of good points there. And oh yeah, I agree with that point. Oh, come with us then. And that's the danger of the umbrella effect, where you agree with this on one issue, come into our group, and we'll, you know, you can now represent. We've got ten other issues there. We don't talk about them, but you're one of us now. There's a danger in that. That's why I don't do political parties or idols or icons just do issue by issue so um you know just wanted to bring a a fair um analysis and it's important to lead by example so if you've got some um woke person screaming their mantras at you they do like their mantras don't they some of the woke crowd very catchy rhymey as well some of them um, screaming at them back isn't going to achieve anything. Um, screaming in general isn't going to get each other's points of view across. Isn't going to get the communication barrier dropped. Isn't you know boardroom meetings are where the most gets done is everyone's calm and listening to each other's different points of view and things. So um, and of course they're able to speak freely. So um, wasn't taking a pop at anyone. Just saying. I'm really a freedom of speech for everyone kind of guy, including the people that I disagree with. Um, And I'm a anti-censorship kind of guy, really. And that's it. I've got no other ideology than that. Everyone is welcome to um, identify as whatever they like. It's none of my business. I'm just against certain groups saying you can't use those words um there there are of course certain words that i do disagree with some of the uh, racial slurs and things i don't think they should be i'm i'm pro censorship on that in terms of 
people being exposed to it. But it is also quite handy to know where the bigots are. So if you censor them, because I'd, I'd want to avoid those people. I'd want to avoid the, the far right as much as I would want to avoid the far left. Like I said, I just I want to go at the party and just enjoy a quiet party with most people in the, you know, the centre of ideology and everything. But yeah, I just wanted to say that, that, you know, I wasn't being mean or unkind to anyone. Just, I don't really want to be around people that are um, really going off on one. <laughs> In whatever direction, to, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, so that was the, uh, let's speak to the next one. Um... Yes. Ah, this is from GB News. And it reads, COVID booster, no thanks. Staggering 96% of NHS appointments for mRNA top-up jab still available with just days of latest vaccination campaign to go. Can't remember if I covered this story before. Um, but... Yeah, less than 4%, this is from Saturday the 4th of February, less than 4% of NHS appointments to have an mRNA top-up have been booked as the health services booster campaign come to an end. Next week will be the last chance adults aged 49 and younger who have not yet received a full set of coronavirus vaccines can take up the offer. So the take-up rate on the boosters has been through the floor. Um, and I think that represents quite a good step to people saying I'm now no longer going to trust what the TV tells me I'm going to start to do my own research and think for myself so I think that that's quite a good um, well thinking for oneself is a is a good process definitely but that's going to be quite interesting to have a nation that is more skeptical of media uh, a nation that is as skeptical of the media as it is its politicians that's going to be quite an interesting world to live in. And I think that it's starting to see the blooming of that coming now. And this is Dr. John Campbell talking about that decision. Where They said, well, you know, if you're not going to be, if you're under 49, you're not going to be able to get it and all that kind of stuff. Effectively, it's a, a rollback and it was done very quietly. And here's Dr. John Campbell talking about it from four weeks ago. Um, put him on for five minutes. Hello and welcome. Just a brief evening update for Wednesday the 25th. I wanted to bring you this sort of hot off the press. It's from the Joint Committee on uh, Vaccination and Immunisation. And basically what they're saying is, as from uh, the 12th of next month, healthy under 50s are not going to be eligible for COVID vaccination in the UK. Some might say this is a, a sensible targeting of resources as we move towards endemicity. Others might suggest it's uh, frantic backpedalling. The report is written in very positive language about this move to a more rational distribution of resources. Nothing about side effects, nothing about adverse reactions, nothing about change in risk-benefit analysis. Some of you might find what I'm about to say fairly pathetic. But let's do it anyway. JVCI makes uh, recommend interim recommendations, and we can expect these to be uh, taken up by the government, of course. 
uh, has advised that plans should be made for those at higher risk of severe COVID-19 to be offered a booster vaccination this autumn. So looking ahead. So it's not saying that young people are at minimal risk, especially in the age of Omicron. Uh, it's not saying that we've now got huge amounts of natural immunity. It's not saying we've now got huge amounts of mucosal immunity. No, it's just a simple uh, rationalisation and targeting of, of resources. Uh, Professor Lim, Chair, uh, as the transition continues away from a pandemic emergency response towards pandemic recovery. Yep. In England, the closure of the autumn booster campaign will be on the 12th of uh, February 2023. Still over two weeks away, I guess. Um, two and a half weeks away. Basically, it means no more boosters for health, healthy under 50s, which we are, of course, very pleased to um, very pleased to see. Uh, similarly, the JVCI is advising that the primary course of COVID vaccination should move over the course of 2023 towards a more targeted offer. So this is going to include primary immunisation as well as the boosters fairly soon. And this is all here. Read it for yourself. It's just put in language which makes everything sound so positive. There's no mention of anything negative. It really does strike me as being... It's not written in a genuine way as far as I can see, but, but there we go. Now, the current recommendations in the UK. Oh, there's also another document here um, that that is linked to COVID vaccination programme. This is actually the official document. Oh, uh, blood clotting, myocarditis and pericarditis in Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, I guess it's not any longer possible to ignore these uh, adverse reactions. What's the word that describes it? There's a word they use. Um, rare, that's it. These rare, these rare reactions. Uh, so it's good to see some honesty, at least, on on that site there. Now, at the moment in the UK, and um, let me just read it. Um, coronavirus, COVID vaccinations in the UK. Everyone aged five on or before the 31st of August 2022 and over can get a first and second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. At the moment... In my country, you can take a perfectly healthy child in to see a professional healthcare advisor, healthcare practitioner, and uh, they will inject a healthy five-year-old child with a messenger ribonucleic acid vaccine. That is the current position in my country at the moment. I'm not allowed to disagree with this. Um, I merely report it. There you go. That's the advice there from my government. Enough of that. Now, Den Denmark, of course, is ahead of the, uh, the curve somewhat, as usual. Um, here's the, uh, the Danish government site. They've already actually adopted this position. Very kind of the Danish authorities, of course, to make uh, full copies available of their documentation in English saves me using Google Translate. We recommend vaccination of people aged 50 years and over, as well as selected risk groups. So ahead of the game. Other countries have got to move to this pretty soon, haven't they? I mean, they, they, simply, they simply have to. The risk of severe disease 
in young people from Omicron who have been previously exposed to the virus, and we all have been previously exposed now, is absolutely minimal. Risk-benefit analysis has changed, as I've been saying for, um, well, now, what, what we are, yeah, for, for over a year now, for over a year now. Radical change. Now, just to finish off on a completely separate matter, and this is nothing to do with the history of the mRNA vaccines, of course. Um, regulatory funding, this article in the British Medical Journal. Now, the British Medical Journal says industry money saturates the global leading regulators. Not my words, British Medical Journal. That's what they say, saturates. And here we have a table. Now, I'm aware you won't be able to see this. So I'm, I'm going to read some of, the, uh, some of the salient points about industry money. Uh, proportion of the budget derived from industry. So this is it here. So Australia, it's uh, 96%. Europe, it's 89%. United Kingdom, it's only 86%. So that means in the United Kingdom, 86% of the regulator's money comes from industry. And I don't imagine it's shoemaking industry, do you? In the United States, it's actually quite a bit lower. It's only 65%. Now, of course, no one's saying that the fact that Australia get 96% of the money, that the Europe get 89% of the money, that the UK get 86% of the money... Japan gets 85% of the money that the US regulators get 65% and Canada only 50.5%. No one's saying any of these huge percentages have any influence on their decision making, of course. We merely report what is in the British Medical Journal and various other uh, things. There. The BMJ has kept this in the public domain, so check it out for yourself. So there you go. Um, if there was anyone here that wants to rush out and get a vaccine who's healthy below the age of 50 before the uh, expiry time in the UK, you've got till the 12th, 12th of January. Um, I won't be rushing. My last vaccine was on the, uh, it was November 2021. I haven't had one since then. Can't tell you what to do, of course, but I haven't had one since 2021. So there we go, uh, change from the JVCI, all in very positive uh, language as they move towards consolidation and uh, targeting. I'll leave you to make what you like of that, but thank you for watching. So, that was an interesting video. You probably, even if it was audio only, you could probably sense the man's frustration there. He certainly he could see it in his face. Now here is the uh, doctor that was pro-vaccine and then not pro-vaccine uh, that I've played clips of before. Here he is on GB News. I'm just, yep, yeah, Dr. Asim Molhotra. Here's a him talking about it for a minute. Do you think it, that it saved enough lives to justify the rollout in the first place? It's a great question. And we don't fully know the answer to that. And that's why we need the raw data, mm -hmm. because that will give us more definitive answers of yeah. what Pfizer knew at the time yeah. it was rolled out. But, Dan, what I would say is, even if it had an effect early on with the, the most mm -hmm. serious ancestral strain of the virus, the Wuhan strain, which was devastating, yeah. I've managed yeah, people yeah, with yeah, long yeah. COVID. No, it was. What's circulating now, Dan, is essentially no worse than the flu. It's so a, we it's a shouldn't... Cold. 
And your, your opinion is yeah. that we shouldn't take up this role. If, if you're young and healthy, you shouldn't take up, because I got my text yeah. the, the other, yeah. the other so day. So did I. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be doing so it. So did I. But, I'm not But it was it. very strongly but, worded yeah. that I should go and get my booster. There needs to be a proper informed discussion with patients. But what I would say is we need to ask people like Chris Whitty and the MHRA why, when we've got a serious adverse mm. event rate, which is probably in the range of at least 1 in 800 to 1 mm. in 1,000 from good quality data, why is it not being pulled when other vaccines, swine flu vaccine 1976 was pulled because it mm. caused Guillain-Barre syndrome in one in 100,000? Rotavirus vaccine was pulled in 1999 because it caused a form of bowel obstruction in one in 10,000. We're talking yeah. of serious adverse events of one in 800. Very, uh, very good point well made. That I think I've mentioned, uh, that clip was, uh, well, it said uploaded in February of this year. So uh, it's a point I've been Make, well, a point I've been playing clips of others making on this podcast. <laughs> Let's not give myself too much credit here uh, for quite some time. And now a clip from the Laura Ingram show, which was on my Facebook. Uh, sorry, my Beyond the News Telegram group. Uh, again, I own no copyright on anything whatsoever. If there's an issue, please email me beyond the news at protonmail.com. So here is Laura Ingram talking about the WEF. Joining me now is Ned Ryan, American CEO. Ned, great to see you tonight. It seems that the goal of uh, this crowd is to, to kind of create the same panic about climate change that they successfully created around COVID. Do I have this wrong? No, you ought to correct. I mean, first of all, we have to accept the World Economic Forum is a fanatical political organization that uses fear and manipulation like COVID hysteria, like the hoax of global warming, to really facilitate people thinking that somehow they're the saviors, but really all you're doing is helping them accomplish their goal, which really is a global public-private fascist movement and fusion of big government, big tech, big money to create a technocratic ruling elite, which conveniently is them. And really, Laura, if you want to look at it a different way, too, with the World Economic Forum, they want to create feudalism 2.0, in which we are serfs and they are the lords ruling over us. You'll, you'll have nothing and be happy is one of the, the things that comes out of Davos. That's what they're aiming for. They're aiming for feudalism in which we are serfs and, and we should be happy that they are, are ruling over us. Now, I wonder how, Ned, the people of West Virginia feel about what one of their own senators said in Davos today. Watch this. The problem that we have is the open press system and basically all the platforms. So if you're able to have five platforms, social platforms, that you can basically um, uh, personify the extremes. And it seems like that is the majority speaking. They're not the majority, but they're basically driving everybody to make a decision. How are those drilling permits doing, uh, Senator? Wasn't he supposed to get all those permits, you know, expedited? Uh, Ned, he actually said the problem is we have too many channels, too many forums for people to express their views. That is unreal. Yeah, no, first of all, he's a disgrace and should be run out of office in 2024. But he's really attacking freedom of the press, freedom of speech. But it really does highlight... Laura, the fact that inherent human freedoms, the idea of freedom of speech, free flow of information, all of these freedoms that we hold dear are anathema to the, the World Economic Forum, that, that you cannot have both. You cannot have inherent rights and human freedoms 
and the WEF, if it accomplishes its goals, they, they will not mix. That's the point. They don't want those to exist anymore. And freedom of speech and all these great freedoms are a threat to their attempts at control. And of course, any opposing ideas, the idea of freedom of press and more channels leads to more information, leads to more questions. And they have to label that as misinformation because they view that as dangerous and undermining their, their goals. Well, look at what they viewed as conspiracy theories last year about COVID, about the vaccine, about the mRNA shots, about the boosters, about masks, about social distancing, about China. I mean, all of that was labeled a conspiracy theory. And now suddenly the CDC is saying, whoa, 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 the boosters might, there might be some problems here. So today's conspiracy theories are tomorrow's uh, truths when it comes to the left. They are, and there's something I tell my kids all the time, question everything, because it is in questioning everything that you'll actually get to the truth. And I think that's in incumbent upon us in this day and age, Laura, that we really should be questioning everything, because I really doubt the motives, the purity of the motives of a lot of these people that are making these claims and pushing these things. And again, the whole goal is to keep us in a perpetual state of fear and hope they can manipulate us into getting what they want. And so we have to question them, because I do not trust them. I love the picture of the lineup of the Falcon 900s, the G5s, the Global Expresses, all the private planes Such lined hypocrisy. up at Davos. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Ned, great to see you tonight. Thank you. And so a couple of things that I wanted to take away from that and also tie it into the earlier part of the show as well is... What conspiracy theorists have been ridiculed by the mainstream media, but what happens when a portion of the mainstream media sound like the conspiracy theorists, i.e., that? And then what happens when those portions of the media do significantly better ratings than the ones attacking the conspiracy theorists? What happens when the points they make are very valid, very easily researched, and yet? Other portions of the mainstream media and the politicians just go, nah, magic wand, conspiracy theory, you are wrong. Um, what happens in those sorts of senses? Um, well, what happens when you're on the far left and you call everyone who disagrees with you far right? It's not going to work, just like we talked about earlier. And... One of the plays that's being I've seen now is the far left call any conspiracy types right wing. Some of them deserve it. Um, some of their segments deserve it. Um, some of the, the, you know, the most of the conspiracy type stuff is on Fox News. And a lot of it I look at it and I go, yeah, I agree with that. And some of it I look at it and I think, oh, that's why people call you right wing. I'm not down with that statement. But the idea of meshing anyone that, and this is what the operation will be over the next year, anyone that disagrees with government and mainstream media is a conspiracy theorist, and all conspiracy theorists are right-wing, right-wing are a threat, and that will lead, over the course of the decade, to, you know, in case of some United States places, domestic extremism you know that kind of thing so that's going to be the narrative to look out for that i see coming up um, but again also important to point out that you know i do like the clip of what 
Laura Ingram just played, but it's also possible for me to look at some of the clips of some of her work and go, oh, nope, that doesn't speak for me. But that's why I have issues. In, I deal with independent issues, not icons and idols. And I hope, listening to me rabbit on for an hour, you might agree. Thanks for doing that. Bye-bye.